Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is part two of my conversation with Gary Disher. If you haven't listened to part one, it's up on the podcast right now. We get into Gary's uh, main character, Paul Hirschhausen from the Rural Noir series we're going to be chatting. Might make a little bit more sense if you go back and listen to that first. Gary is the author of more than 50 titles. He was nominated for the Booker Prize. He's got a Lifetime Ned Kelly Award because he is an amazing noir crime mystery writer. And today we are discussing the third installment of his rural noir series. It's called Consolation. I'm Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. We broadcast from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I am recording on the lands of the Darug and Gundungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners. I want to pay my respects to their ongoing connection to that land. It is stolen land. There was no treaty in Australia. Now, the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. Now, I want to help everyone discover these incredible books. So, if you are liking this, tell a friend. Give us a like, a rating, uh, send a comment. I'd love to, you know, hear what you've got to say. Today on the show, we are getting back to consolation. You've met Paul Hirschhausen in part one. He is the only cop in a poorly heated police station in Tiverton. He left Adelaide when he turned whistleblower on corruption, but he settled into the town. They've come to know him. He's setting down roots. But then again, there is always an edge when the police are around. Now, Hirsch is looking for a father and son on the run. They're armed and dangerous. The local music festival is going belly up and someone is sneaking around, stealing women's underwear in the night. In part two, we're going to connect a little bit more with the themes of public and private and how they relate to the crimes in the novel. There's also going to be a very special bit at the end. It was an off mic or an off off record moment where Gary and I were discussing Australian crime. And I thought, look, I'd really love to share it with you because it's got some great ideas and thoughts from a master of crime about Australian crime. Join me as we discover Gary Disher's consolation. There is the really interesting um, subplot narrative throughout consolation of the child who is being distance educated and Hirsch gets a tip off that perhaps this child is being neglected or not being looked after as they should. Now, of course, also online learning has exploded in 2020, I think, There are going to be very few children who haven't had some sort of online learning sitting in front of a computer, which of course takes that more public space of education into the private home you can start to see into people's lives. I think that's this is a really good point to to kind of tap into that idea of accessibility and technology, because of course, you've just mentioned there he's he's a local cop, he's a the one cop in a one cop town. He needs to be available and in so much of our lives, we expect people to be available. I think about my own life. It doesn't really matter if you've got my mobile number or my email or one of the the um, social uh, network messaging services because they all pop up as notifications on my phone. There is that sense of 24-hour accessibility. Technology has made that so much more available and it's, it comes back to that idea of blurring the public and private our devices keep us so connected and they're so important, obviously, in, say, regional areas where people can be so far apart from each other. But I wondered, like, what, what role do you see for technology here? How does it, what role does it play in Hirsch's life? Well, it's becoming much more vital to him because at one level it's unreliable. He's often going on long-distance long patrols of three or 400 kilometres a day uh, to outlying areas, um, long distances between towns or between farms and so on. And in some of those areas, there's no mobile uh, or very poor 
mobile reception or very poor uh, radio reception in any police vehicle, which would also mean very poor onboard computer reception. So there are going to be plenty of times when he's at a, at a disadvantage or even in danger because he's, he's lost contact with the outside world. So to me, it's becoming more and more vital um, the, the role of technology and the necessity for uh, technology that's going to work to do the to do the job that it's required of it, mm. just to investigate and maybe even save his life or save someone else's life. Again, I saw a really interesting juxtaposition between that reliance on technology. And I guess I want to I, I want to use perhaps in scare quotes the term sort of old fashioned copper skills or old fashioned detection. Uh, on several occasions, Hirsch is approaching a property where he's he's had a tip off, someone's called him, or he's just doing his regular rounds, and you have him stop. And I think the phrase that, that you quite often use is he checks his senses, um, which almost sounds mystical, but very much it's it's Hirsch relying on everything that is not uh, the technology that assists him in his policing. And it's incredibly important. And then it, it, it's contrasted with when um, the Metropolitan Police have to come up from Adelaide and they're doing a, a, a grander scale investigation. Those senses that Hirsch has are often derided or dismissed um, as as being a little bit too wishy-washy, but they also quite often prove to play out. Hirsch has a hunch. Hirsch connects ideas in a in a novel way, and that that proves an important lead. Um, do you see that as being a really important and interesting balance that Hirsch is is making in his in his life? Yeah, I hadn't thought about it in quite so, such clear terms as that. <laughs> yeah, he is a perceptive character. He does rely on his senses. I have heard um, uh, police over the years, Not I don't know many police officers or talk to many over the years, but my brother was a policeman. Um, and I think the good ones do have a sense of when things aren't right. They learn to read a place and they learn to read a person um, if, they're, if they're good cops. Um, if they just buy the book cops, they'll just do what the rule book says. But Hirsch can't afford to do that uh, in every instance. He has to be he has to be a quick reader of the atmosphere of a place and the atmosphere of a person. So yeah, it's a vital part of who he is. I think any any conversation about a book in a loved series inevitably ends on a. A, a tinge of sadness and a tinge of hope. We we know there's not another book coming for. Well, you've told me it's it's contracted for 2022, um, but we can look forward to it. And maybe we could just end with that. You've you've mentioned already that COVID inevitably has to play a role in that. Maybe not maybe not as the protagonist, so to speak, but it will inevitably affect the world in which Hirsch moves. But another thing that has happened in Consolation is he's got a more senior role. And he's in charge of um, the. <laughs> I love this. I love this term. He's in charge of the children. He's in charge of the the more junior officers. So of course, this is an opportunity for him to pass on some of his his policing skills. What do you see? Like, what what role do you see for Hirsch, sort of, in that mentoring, and how does that sort of lead forward into maybe some of the future books? Uh, 
As I said earlier, it's important for me that characters develop over a series. So um, there'll be developments in his private life. There'll be developments in the way he feels about the place. He feels more comfortable in it. But I think, too, that perhaps um, he's dragged kicking and screaming into doing a sergeant's exam, for example. So he might perhaps be posted to a bigger town or have a much more senior role, um, much more active mentoring role. I haven't thought all these things through yet, but I, I, he, he needs to develop. He, there's nothing worse for a writer and a reader, I think, that, than a static character over a l- long series. Mm. And then some bloody interviewer puts you on the spot and says, "Tell me about the next book." Um, I love that. I love that. Um, I love that idea of constant development. That, of course, is something that we should all be striving for, and and what so many of us look to the books that we read to inspire in us. Um, you've shocked me with this idea that he could move out of Tiverton, and I, I feel like if if you're going to do that, of course, there has to be a crime that drags him back because you've you've created an ensemble cast that I I think. There, it would be it would be hard to to read without. So I mean, look, you're, we're not locking you down to anything, Gary. This is just so so exciting to discuss the way a character can become so alive, and also engage us um, engage us with things that are happening in our world today. I I had only a vague idea of what the main crime might be in the fourth book. Um, it's based on a a, a case many, many years ago of a outback station owner or manager mistreating the young the young uh, jackaroos on the property mm-hmm. and two of them uh, just ran away and died out in the des- semi-desert country. So I'm interested in that. I'm not sure what, ha- what I'll do with it or how I'll deal, deal with it, but to me it's a, an all-encompassing crime this time, whereas the first three novels, he deals with a lot of petty crime, and some of them are, are, as I said, are symptomatic of worse things that are happening under the surface. But it's possible that the fourth book will be concentrate more on one big crime. That sounds like it could almost have a bit of a full circle effect as well um, for Hirsch, who has, you know, sort of fallen prey to abuses of power higher up the chain that he was he was able to whistleblow on um, again for him to go into that situation where there have been abuses of power and that has led to difficulties for for more junior people. It feels like it would it would have a personal element. Uh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. You're, you're helping me enormously with the fourth book. You realise? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I, the, the idea that we could talk about this in eighteen months' time and <laughs> and be be reminiscing about this is just the most exciting thing. I think. I think any book <laughs> lover loves the idea that they can see see ideas reflected. So, I mean, that's well, I, I that's one. I steal from everyone and everything. Please. I can usually use something along the line. So Please yeah, do. It's, it's radio. Yes, it's public domain. <laughs> <laughs> but that idea of public abu- of, of abuse of power, that is something that I often think about it because I, sometimes I can't get through the morning newspaper, the age, morning the Melbourne Age, uh, without this feeling of hopelessness. Um, that the bad guys are getting away with it. And it's often some sort of abuse of power. 
of the clergy over children, for example, of um, business um, men uh, abusing sexually young women in their offices or whatever it might be. It's just, it's, it's endemic, it's rife everywhere and, it, and, the, and the bastards get away with it. <laughs> mm. So something does, does consume me as, a, as an author. I think crime writer. <laughs> yeah, I think also the uh, perhaps the most horrible and pervasive abuse that is perpetuated as a result of all these actions is I'll just I'll just rely on an an example that sort of came to light in Sydney recently it was um two two men who were owners of a group of um pubs and um bars and they'd they'd said on a podcast they'd sort of spoken out against the state of young hospitality workers, and um, they they maintained these men who I think are probably only in their mid mid to late thirties that they were the last true generation who really suffered um, abuse as young people, and that nowadays hospitality workers were too soft. And what I saw was this idea that when abuses are perpetuated, they harden the next generation who then just essentially become part of the system and they perpetuate abuses to the generation below and it becomes a, it becomes a cycle an endless vicious cycle and yeah. that what we what we need and perhaps what we look for is someone to break that cycle so that we can actually start to elevate ourselves yeah yeah okay mm. <laughs> that was we'll take that as a comment andrew <laughs> what am no, i you you're, you're quite right you do see it over and over again the bullied become bullies, yeah. I am speaking with Gary Disher. He is the novel. He's the author of more than 50 titles, but we are discussing the third in his Rural Noir series, uh, focusing on Constable Paul Hirschhausen, focusing on Hirsch. It is called Consolation. And uh, you've probably gathered from the the conversation that this is an absolutely enrapturing series. I mean, if you knew someone that you wanted to buy an amazing book for, there's there's three to choose from. Gary, thank you so much for taking the time again. Oh, thanks a lot, Andrew. I've enjoyed it. That's it for the main part of my conversation with Gary Disher on Consolation. But now I'd like to share a special little outtake. This is Gary and I discussing Australian crime. I had a chance to read The Sunken Road in the inter. inter- intervening time and I just I absolutely loved it I thought I'd start the conversation just by saying that that book is beautiful oh thank you yeah it's a book it's a book I'm I'm proud of and it's quite unlike anything else I've written but back when it was first published it sort of sank without trace it had Mm. terrific reviews but it didn't sell Mm. um and I think a part of it was the uh, a kind of snobbishness in the literary community that Gary Fisher writes crime novels. He couldn't possibly write a literary novel that would be worth reading. I think there's a little bit of that goes on. Uh, but for whatever reason, it sank without trace. So I was really, really pleased when the text republished it uh, because the, the setting is the mid-north of South Australia, which is the setting of the three Hirsch novels. Mm. And uh, uh, in some of my other novels too, couple of children's ones, for example, um, one of the Inspector Chalop's novels, he spent part of the time uh, back there. So it, the place has always exerted a pull on my imagination. And with that particular book, I, I was you know, pushing out my boundaries, seeing what I could do with a different type of writing and thinking. That's interesting. I, I find it. I find it interesting that that snobbishness you mention in um, 
in the intervening time since we last spoke, I've actually moved out of Sydney, just um, up in the Blue Mountains, and I do a lot of driving. So I've I've got an online sort of course subscription that I pay for, and recently I've been doing a course on mystery and suspense genre literature, sort of going back through the centuries and then across the across the continent. And it's amazing how consistent that that snobbishness and that idea around genre versus, um, if I can use scare quotes, literary fiction, how it seems to exist and be pervasive, but almost nonsensically, because, you know, so so many literary authors have tried their hand at genre and back and forth. And I feel like it's, I'm, I'm saying everything in scare quotes now, but it's, it's incredible. And I, I appreciate actually being able to, to read The Sunken Road and, and live in that world and then live in almost the parallel world of, of course, Hirsch's, you know, um, living in the same place. And it's, it almost, it felt to me like we can never, we can never walk a mile in someone else's shoes. We can never know someone else's perspective perfectly. But I think in a way you've given us two different points of view. It's like we've been able to live through two different sets of eyes about the same place and have that little bit of different experience of the same world. So that's, that's been that's enriched my reading of Consolation, I think. Oh, thank you. Yeah, they are two quite different point, viewpoints in the sense that um, Anna, the main character in The Sunken Road, was born and raised there and she didn't ever really leave except to go down to Adelaide University but came back and married a local farmer and grows old there. So she's talking about it with absolute familiarity Whereas Hirsch is an outsider, like a lot of uh, recent rural Australian crime novels, the protagonist is uh, an outsider, comes from outside. Hirsch is a city boy, um, but in slight disgrace, he gets busted down to uniform and sent to a little one-off police station out in the bush. So he's a fish out of water, and in Chris Hammer's Scrublands, the main character comes in only briefly, of course, but he's a Sydney journalist. Mm. And then... Uh, Jane Harper's The Dry, the main character is a, he grew up there, but he hasn't lived there for, you know, 20 or 30 years, and he goes back there as an adult. And again, he's having to relearn the place. So that's, that's the difference, uh, an, an outsider's perspective and an insider's perspective. Can I ask your perspective on that then? Because I, I know there is a long tradition of the detective in detective fiction being an outsider, and that that functions in a certain way, I guess, in the more traditional kind of puzzle mystery type of plots. But is there a sense perhaps in Australian fiction, as you described it there, I got this real sense of almost it's it's the cosmopolitan trying to understand the regional or, or needing the outside eye to break apart the close-knit community. Is, is there something of that in it? Uh, yes, I think that uh, exists not only in, uh, in genre fiction, because, you know, you see it in romance fiction, for example, that uh, a lot of Australian rural, a lot of Australian romance fiction is set on sheep stations, for example, and the, the insider might be a young woman who grows up on the sheep station and the outsider is a man who comes in there and he has to learn the place. Um, but ultimately, in, I think in romance fiction, uh, there's a great sense of feeling at home, ultimately, but... I think with uh, the crime novels and some other types of fiction, there's never really a, a final sense of feeling at home. There's always um, there, there's always uh, a gap. I feel um, 
don't don't feel fully settled. Mm. Uh, even in say two two of Peter Temple's novels, um, An Iron Rose and The Broken Shore, we have two characters similar setups. They uh, grew up in these areas in rural uh, west west of Melbourne and on, down on the coast, um, but were removed from those areas by a restless parent when they were only about ten or twelve. And they come back to live there, and they feel they've, in in both novels they've lived there for a few years. But there's still that sense of they don't they have missed out a lot. That things have happened in the in, in the interim. They're, they're not still not fully rooted the place. Mm-hmm. They feel restless even in their own homes. And the Broken Shore, Cashin, the main character, is uh, sort of lives in a couple of rooms. He's renovating the house, but. Um, there's a sense of rootlessness still in those books, I think. That's it for this great conversation with Gary Disher. Gary's new novel is Consolation, and it's out now through text. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Gundan Gara people. It's broadcast on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. And the show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Keep up with the latest in books, writing, and literary culture. You can follow us on all the socials. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. And if you click subscribe, there's a new conversation coming, well, two this week. Uh, You will get one every week. I am Andrew Popel. I'll be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye now.